Okay. Hello, everybody. We're back. I'm Revee Sinclair. Hi, I'm Denise Bowles. Let's doula that. Yeah, we're here to doula that with you. All right. Okay. So I will probably come up with another question, not today, but another time. But my question for you is what's in your cup? What's in my cup right now? I'm just drinking something really dull. It's just some electrolyte water with alkaline water. It's just what I need right now. So I have to stay hydrated. It's uh, that's it right now. It's pretty boring. Okay. I love it. I mean, you're being healthy. Okay. So uh, it's a continuation. So this is peach tea, <laughs> but it's the non-sugar version. Okay. Okay. So okay. slightly healthier, you know, I got to get these sugars under control. What, what else is in there? Okay. I use the, the ending of the, you know, the crown apple crown Royal okay from before but i filled it up okay. with sugar free i'm working okay. on it i'm working on it y'all okay. got to get okay. it together over here okay so, yeah um yeah so that's 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 what's in my cup all right a little i got a little flavor in it all right okay, okay so everybody so we're coming to you and we're doing this episode and I, I just want to fully acknowledge that while we are talking about some lighthearted things and things that people might not feel are like super important or life-changing, we are also uh, exercising our privilege to do this while the rest of the world is in a war, all right? So I know that there there's work that we're doing and there's hurting also happening. So I just wanted to take a minute to acknowledge that there is a lot of pain um, happening in the birthing space or in the mothering and children's space because of what's happening over in the Middle East. So I did just wanna take a moment to acknowledge we're not ignoring that. I think that um, as birth workers, we have to be pretty resilient in the face of like the realities of how life and death are so closely intertwined. And so um, we hope that, um, that there's a resolution soon and that people get a balm for their, for their pain. So. Absolutely. I just wanted to acknowledge that. All right. So we're going to start uh, our episode with um, talking about a doula skill. I mean, you're here for a reason and we're dueling that. And so what do you want to doula today, Denise? Well, you know, we hear it all the time. You know, we see it a lot too. It's like, Hey, can anybody back me up? I need a backup person. I need a backup doula. I need it now. Can somebody help me? Um, in a Facebook group, in a Facebook group. <laughs> um, it's really, you know, finding that good mesh of a person, um, whether it be in your mentoring group that you're in or your local doula community, but boy, that's been the common, all through the summer, people were looking for backups, people were on vacation or whatever. It's been, it's been the, the major topic here. Okay. And yes, I think this is such a good topic to talk about because we're going into the holiday season Oh yeah, where people are going to be with family, with friends, also the rise of the flu or COVID or whatnot, people might get sick. And so having a backup is super critical. I feel like I see these messages in Facebook groups, even in like birth worker chat groups and I, I don't know about you. I think it's, I mean, I have, I think I have a two, two sets of, of thinking on this. I think it's weird to have somebody who you don't know showing up for a family 
And so some, there's like one part of me that when I see these messages, I'm like, oh, except I know I'm an amazing doula and I'm trustworthy and I'm heavily skilled. So Mm -hmm. I I feel like, oh, okay, I could go help that family. I have every confidence in me, but I don't know how the doula has any confidence in me because they generally, sometimes like they they don't know me. And so, yeah, even to see it, it's even more so to see it in a Facebook group where you're like, there's hundreds of doulas in here who like, and I don't know, maybe the doulas after they do the request and people respond, maybe they vet the doula. I don't know. Maybe the family has, I don't know how this all happens, but I was trained to, when you, you know, sign up with a family that you already had a working relationship with a backup doula or a set of doulas so that you could tap into that known group of people um, whenever you needed them. So I don't know. I don't know. How did you get trained on like backup doula or support? You know, I got trained the same way that you really should have a rapport with that person. Um, and, you know, the doula should really be able to vouch for them and know them. However, you know, I did do a relocation from one place to the next. So that kind of changed my community there for a while. And, you know, in order to get my foot in the door, I had to start out by being the filler. You know, I had to put myself out there and say, hey, I'm available. If anybody needs a backup, if anybody needs some holiday coverage, I'm here in in, in New York City because I was upstate New York for, you know, that's where I began my doula practice. So I did that. And in doing that, I got some really good hits. I got my foot in the door. Doulas got to know me. They're like, oh my God, Denise is amazing. My clients raved about her. She was reliable. She was on time. She showed up. She was professional. Um, She did everything she said she would do. She accepted the the agreed fee. Everything was great. Then there were a couple of other doulas where my practice was different than theirs. And they wanted somebody to be there from the jump of labor and that's not how I practice. So they were calling me, even though I was the I was the backup doula there. This doula who I was backing up was calling me and you know, checking in and micromanaging and getting unnecessary anxiety because I wasn't there. And it's like, well, she's not an active labor. Um, I'm not gonna be there yet. Plain and simple. Now, when I went back to the hospital, the mom was in active labor. She used a very precipitous birther and I was there for the birth. I was there and the doctor wasn't there. I caught the baby. So, you know, doulas, you know, it, it, it's it's really something when they don't understand what your practice is. So I think that communication is really important. How do you practice? What show them your contract? You know, I'm showing up at active labor. I'm not there for a tuck in. I'm not there to labor with you at home in early labor. I'm not going to be there at home watching TV with you and walking around the block with you. That's something your partner is, is trained hopefully to do. So yeah, it, it's it's definitely a two way street on that one. Yeah, I think it's tricky to to put a call out into the vortex and like and to get a reply back and then to accept. I think there's some things to consider that if this is your strategy, that you need to have a reliable vetting process. And hopefully you do this call out with enough time for you to vet, to call, to interview, to, you know, and you know, I've I've definitely done this. I've responded. Because yeah, I was off and I was like, why not? I can make a little extra money. I can do this. But I do expect people to call me 
get to know me or maybe I call the family and I basically do an interview. I let them know what my credentials are and let them know they can go to my website, how, how to get to know me, what, what I expect and versus what they expect. So we don't have a miscommunication like what you had, Denise, so that everybody knows, hey, I am skilled, but I may operate a little bit differently than your doula. Now, I think on your end, as the person who's coming in as the backup, I think you should look to see, the lawyer in me says, look at the contract that the client has with the doula, because that contract and that relationship has set up certain expectations that when you're coming in as the backup, you are expected to fulfill. So although you and your practice, Denise, you may not come to them until to a family until they're in active labor, this other doula, they may have already promised the family to have support in early labor. And so that's one of the ways as a backup doula, you even decide if this is even a relationship that you want to say yes to. So I think everybody has to do their due diligence and vetting. But I also feel like if you do this once or twice, one of the things you may want to do is develop a group of people who are become your go-tos as a backup doula. So you're not constantly shouting out into this vortex, but that you start to create a little small group, maybe a group chat or a collective, like an informal collective of doulas who work in the same area, who kind of have the same work style or skill set. And you kind of attract the same kind of clients because you want to make sure that there's a good match there that you can call on when you get hired, um, you know, for um, when you get hired by a family so that right away you can have a backup already um, built into the contract so you don't have to do these call outs. I think some of this is just really about getting seasoned and becoming um, more familiar with the doulas in your community. Yeah, I, I don't do backups anymore for, you know, on the, on the general. Um, there are about four or five doulas that I will have that I back up for. And um, I have one person who backs me up here and that's it. Um, I just, I just did that in the beginning to get my feet wet and to get in the door in a new It's a good team. way. It, that's a really good way to be known, to make money, to get connected. It's really great idea. Yeah. Yeah. But otherwise now, no, um, I don't back up. There's very few times that I, thankfully that I even need that situation. Um, but yeah, it is definitely a strategy. I don't think it's fair to the family that you don't have somebody that could, you know, you could get into a car accident on the way to the birth. You can get COVID. There could be a family emergency. There could be so many things that could come up. And to relieve that family's anxiety, you really should have something solid in place. I 100% agree. Now let's think about the ways. So there's like, it's not always that smooth for a lot of doulas, especially if you live in a place where there are not a lot of doulas. Right. Okay, so if you live in a place where there are not a lot of doulas or doulas who have your similar credentials or level of experience, for whatever reason, if they're just, they're not a lot of matches for you that your families would feel comfortable with, then I would recommend you consider, does the family feel comfortable with virtual support as a backup? Right. And so if that, if that is the case, you need to offer that to them, talk through that with them, train them on what to expect out of a virtual dueling experience, prepare them. You would have to do like a comfort measure session, a tech, a tech session so that they can get, you know, be ready. And that does open up the pool of people who could be your backup. Right. Um, 
I think some another barrier that people consider when like not quite properly setting up a backup is the backup doula fee. Sometimes people just don't want to come up off the money and it, it does cut into your profit. And like, how do you uh, set that up? So shameless plug on my website, revaysinclair.com, ha uh, hashtags shop. I have a backup doula contract, like a, a set of an agreement where you can, I think there's two different ways that you can set up an agreement. Maybe there's a flat fee or there's an hourly rate up to a certain like capped amount. There's a couple of ways that you can do this, but you should absolutely have a contract with the backup doula so that people know when I, should I be on call for you? When am I expected to join the family? How much will I get paid? Okay. Make sure that this is not just a verbal agreement. Make sure this is a written agreement and signed and, and so that all parties are aware. But I, I just recognize that the finances may keep you from wanting um, to engage someone in a, as, in a backup doula situation. I would encourage you to just have somebody uh, on call like a little bit, like they don't have to be on call like formally, but have somebody waiting in the wings, let somebody know, hey, are you available in December? Yes, and it's like, okay, I may need to engage you as a backup doula because I have a, you know, just let them know that that's possible so that you have something to go on. And mm -hmm. so that you're not totally failing the family. If you don't use them, you don't use them. Some people will pay someone just to be considered. Maybe you pay them a $25 or $50 like sitting or, you know, hanging in the, in the wings fee. And then other people um, pay a flat fee or pay an hourly rate or whatever. But you got to think through that. I, I just think that it's a responsible, it's responsible to the family because most people's contracts say they'll have a backup doula. I also think it's compassionate to you. Like, I think be kind to yourself. No, don't stress yourself out trying to be at five different births and having all that pressure to perform when you really could have the relief knowing that, hey, if this family goes while I'm in this other birth, I have a backup. So I think that, that that's a way to actually take care of yourself as a birth worker so as to not wear out your nervous system. I think I think there are some some ways that you can think about having a backup doula that could be really, really useful and um, not only to the family, but to yourself. Now, there is a paradigm. There's some other sides to the coin here in this discussion. And one of them is to make sure that your backup doula is pretty comparable to the skill set that your, your client originally hired you for. Okay. So for me, I have doulas that are, I know can back me up that have the same level, if not more experience than I have at this point. So I'm not bringing in a doula who's only been a doula for two years. I've got somebody who's at least a double digit years of being a doula to be my backup person. Yeah, that's I think that's very, important. That's very, very important. Now, the other thing that's happening out here for our new and younger doulas, I am going to spill the tea here. Oh, wait, before you spill the tea, just on that one thought, I think that makes sense to have somebody who has like commiserate experience, if it's possible. Sometimes right. all you got is a doula who got trained in, during the pandemic, two years experience, mostly right. in virtual. Maybe that's all you got. Then you find a way to fill the gap. So for right. me, if that's all I had, first of all, I would disclose that to the family. True. Second, True. I would let them know, hey, as much as I can be, I'm going to be on um, texting with that doula, supporting them, I, or I have another doula. If I'm totally out of pocket, I have another seasoned doula who will be engaging with them, helping them give you suggestions and ideas. I would undergird that with as much experience as possible so that they can have confidence that 
the main thing is that someone present is, is some, someone is present with him for the birth and then try to support or supplant the, the maybe the lack of experience in other ways to help soften the blow, so to speak. Very, true. very, very true. Very, very true. Because sometimes we don't know things do happen. Um, we, this pandemic has done a pivot for everyone. So what we were considering that we can rely on has changed. Mm-hmm. So we have to change with it. So I totally agree with you on that. But um, one of the things that I notice is happening here in New York and New Jersey is that we have seasoned doulas who will go out and land the contract. Mm-hmm. And then they will hire less experienced doulas to be their backup, pay them a quarter of what they were initially paid on that contract and send that doula in for less money and they pocket the difference. Oh, honey. Oh, you are spilling the tea. Wow. I did not know that. There you go. So when I, and I say this because it happened to me and I will, I will give you an example. I went ahead and I supported a doula and she gave me a price. She says, okay, this is what they paid me. I said, okay, no problem. I accept, I accept your, you know, X number of dollars. And I go in and I support this family who had very prodromal labor. So I went to the home, supported them. The labor went down. I left to go get some rest. They rested. The labor picked back up. I came back. This happened from Monday through Sunday, excuse me, from Friday through Sunday. Okay. The whole weekend I was back and forth. So talk brings about talk. No problem. The client says to me, oh yeah, you know, doula so-and-so was great. She did this with us. She did that. And we paid her X amount of dollars. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying to myself, oof, that's about a thousand dollars difference than what I was paid. So this person tried to pocket a thousand dollars. So I kept my cool and I supported the birth. She had an amazing vaginal birth. All of her goals were hit. She was very pleased with the support she received and in her prodromal labor. And I went home. I got some rest and then I got on the phone to that doula that asked me to be her backup. And I told her, I know exactly what you were paid. And if you don't give me the difference of that money that I earned in that prodromal labor of three days going back and forth with that client, it's going to be on and popping. <laughs> I thought so, that's right. So she was like, oh, are you threatening me? It's like, no, this is not a threat. This is a promise. It's a promise, I, honey. <laughs> I was working with this family for three days in that prodromal labor back and forth. And you tried to cut me out of the money and pocket money that you didn't earn. You weren't at the birth. I was. And I was there on my feet back and forth for three days, hip squeezes and all that stuff, sleeping in my car, all kinds of stuff. And and you're black and I'm black. And here you are trying to undermine me and keep some of the money. So she ended up paying me. And I'm sure to this day, She's got nothing but negative things to say behind my back and that's okay. But please be upright. If I'm if you're if you're going to be my backup, I'm going to hand you the money. You earned it. Exactly. Earned now you it. know, I have questions because I'm like so a backup doula feels very much to me like it's necessary for immediate like I'm in another birth uh so I can't go to this one or I'm sick for a day or so. So I can't go to this one. So this went on for three, four days. Was this really a, like an immediate need backup doula need? Like, 
what was up? Was she out of town? Like what? Yeah, she was, she was at another padronal birth. It was one of those, if the planets could collide at this oh. one moment, they would. Okay. <laughs> it was one prodromal birth after the next, after the next, after the next. And she was going from one to the next, not resting because this one finally gave birth after three days. Then another one started up, then another one. And she was like, you know, she was going on sleep deprivation for like five days at that point. So she needed, she really did need help. She okay. Really I get it. And some of this is also speaking to you overextending yourself, exactly. having too many clients being, you know, whatever, I don't know what you're being, could be greedy, could be just not as organized, not as um, prepared to take on all the clients that you're taking, like stacking all those families so close. And I, we know that you could have four weeks apart in the due date and they'd be trying to, you know, those babies try to come on the same day. I know that happens, but that is fairly rare. So some of this is also speaking to um, mismanagement of your doula practice, having too many people and honestly not having a solid backup system. Like this is a person, if you're going to take on clients like this, you need to be in a collective, you need to be in an agency, you need to be in a group where built, backup is built in for every client so that everybody gets what they need. And you as a doula also still have some work-life balance. Yeah. Because we know sleeplessness, that's like being high. Like that is super dangerous. It's dangerous. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to fall. You're going to be driving. You're going to be doing all kinds of things. And it really puts you and yourself, uh, you and other people at risk. It's very dangerous. Yeah. And for all your effort of wanting, trying to be there for the family, you're going to drop balls. And oftentimes they're still, you were there at a sacrifice in a struggle and they're not happy. They still won't be happy at the end because you're not fully present for that family. Right. Exactly. Exactly. They will not feel like you've given them your all. And truthfully, you weren't because you did not get enough rest. But, you know, there is a doula out here. She is she is a black doula and she is known for taking the money, getting mm. a backup doula of a of a of a, a newer ex less experienced doula, paying them not even half of what she got in the contract. They go to support the birth and she pockets the difference. Now, prenatal visits, childbirth education, there's no way that can come out to fourteen, sixteen hundred dollars $1,600. No, no way. Well, so, I had no idea. Okay. Now we would be remiss if we don't talk about the, the use of a backup doula when you're in a very long labor. So that's the other way that backup doulas, they don't necessarily come in right at the beginning, but they you might introduce a backup doula um, once you have hit a threshold. And so your contract actually should speak to that. You should have a sense, parents should be able to expect, hey, after she's been with me for 20 hours, um, I think for me, it's 24 hours, which I'm definitely no good after that, um, that, they, that the family can expect a, a backup doula to be introduced into the equation. Um, I don't know, how do you do it, Denise? Because I know you're a solo practitioner. So what do you have? How do you manage the long labors without actually normally having a backup doula? Um, you know, there's been only a very, I haven't used a backup doula since 2018 um, when my mom passed away. So I've been very fortunate in the way that I've staggered my clients and the way the Lord has put, put it out there for me. I may have left one birth and have a change of clothes in my car and got the call. I have to go right to the next hospital yeah. and go over. So there was a little bit of a gap that I could still get to. 
Um, but so far it's been okay. So I haven't really had to engage in a backup doula now since 2018. But if I did have to engage in one, then I would definitely have that person on call before we go in. I would give them an, an honorarium, a fee for even agreeing to be my backup. And then I would give them the, I would just hand them over the money that I took for that birth. Maybe I take off one or $200 for my prenatals, but they get, they get 90% of the cash that I, I would not keep that money like that. Yeah. And I, I would say very similar. Um, I generally cannot sleep with other people, even if I'm delirious when my clients are in labor. So generally what I do, if I had a backup doula and it was just purely fatigue, I would go away for enough time for me to get home, get showered, eat, sleep for a few hours, get like get refreshed and come back. Because sometimes these long labor, they're long, right? So the I, I wouldn't just keep my backup if I have rested and I've eaten. And let's say four or five, let's say five hours has gone by. Um, and I've like been able to get a little bit of a nap and get some food and everything. I'm probably going back. So, um, and relieving that backup doula because, you know, when we get in the groove with the family, we want to see the baby. We want to- yes. We want our family. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So usually I try to get myself back over there um, and rejoin the family as fast as possible. So, yeah. Um, so that's definitely it. Well, hopefully this has been helpful in terms of like doula skills, just really exploring the topic or the idea of a backup doula in ways that you might have not considered using one or getting prepared to use one. There's lots of options now that we have the virtual. Um, support, use your contracts to set expectations. Um, if your contract says one thing and then you find that you need to do something else, you can amend your contract with what we call an addendum, which is just writing a new clause, whatever that subject is that you're dealing with, and just attaching it to the original contract. As long as you and the family um, sign it, you can just make another agreement. Mm -hmm. What works for you. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. Good absolutely. luck with backups. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. So, um, popular culture. So, scrolling on good old Facebook, I have seen a trend, and I we've talked about a little bit about this before um, recording, Denise, um, about looking at white organizations and this post George like trend, like everybody was so into DEI and doing their work. And well, you know, when we watch a black man be killed on TV over and over and over again, everybody was so ready to do DEIB work. Right. And then it just, I don't know, somehow 2021 came and it was over. Um, by the end of 2021, people were done with doing their work very externally. We were, you know, I was teaching classes like, uh, um, unpacking white supremacy. People were gung-ho. Everybody had a book club reading and exploring their racism. And then it just fizzled. And so I feel like um, paying attention to birth organizations and what they're saying and doing, I think it's interesting to see the trend of white-led organizations using BIPOC folks' faces um, on the front of things like, I don't know, say their podcast when they have- I know where you're going with this. Oh my God. <laughs> I mean, I mean oh my God. You spill, listen, you spilled the tea. I get to spill the tea. Oh, I mean, <laughs> but 
put using our faces when we're long gone from the organization, when we left on bad terms, when you we left because you're not actually doing DIB work, but you want to look like you're doing DIB work. I mean, this is what's happening in the birth world, and it's really kind of sickening. Um, yeah, I mean, because people don't necessarily know, like if you're not part of the inner circle, a lot of these organizations, you don't actually know the controversy, the drama, you don't know. Um, I don't know, I feel like it's just kind of like how corporate organizations picked up and all of a sudden, you know, they had black faces sharing their messages and they never before had black faces showing their, you know, sharing their message. So anyway, it's a trend. I want to, you know, do you want to talk about it? Do you want to weigh in? Because it's just, you know, something I, I have noticed. You had to, like, do that. Because, girl, I done told them they was using your face. I done told you about three times they still using your face. Me, you told me, you told me. And, you know, this goes back to where, you know, it's it's a lot to be a Black person in this country. And it's not a fad. And it's not... It's not, uh, it's not done by uh, by uh, penetration by having a black partner or black children. Um, this is a real thing. It's exhausting being black to teach everyone all the time, to be on guard all the time, to um, advocate all the time with the inequities that just come one after the next after the next. And so when I took on, I was one of the first podcasters of color. That was uh, uh that was actually selected by Lamaze International to do their podcasting, and they did this in the pa pandemic because they thought it'd be a great idea, and it is. And so I did the podcast, and I had some amazing topics on topics that parents really want to hear. They were on the pulse of things. They were provocative. They're me. That's who I am. And then Lamaze went ahead, and they saw what I was doing. And they decided how to stifle me, how to control me, was to have a committee review my podcast before they would approve them for publication. And so after that, I said, no, you know, uh, you hired me, my podcast are very respectable. I think my podcast, the one podcast that gave them the highest ratings was What's the difference between Bradley and Lamaze? And the one guest that I had on as an expert Bradley instructor, a highly decorated um, black birth worker who brought up the history that at one time, Bradley and Lamaze were actually together working collaboratively. So she gave some wonderful background history and you know these organizations decide to schism themselves for whatever their personal reasons are, but the history was wonderful and it was one of the top podcasts at the time. No problem. I decided to step back because I felt that the white podcasters were not censored. And then all of a sudden I was. So I left and I have not been a podcaster on Lamaze now in two years, <laughs> something like that. But here it is. If you look on Lamaze's webpage and you see the podcast banner, my face is still up there. And it really does promote the abuse as well as the misrepresentation of Black people in birth work, okay? Um, Lamaze is a white-run organization. Lamaze uh, does not have a lot of diversity in their teaching materials. They have blonde-haired, blue-eyed babies on their material. 
Um, I took their Lamage training. My Lamage trainer had blonde haired, blue eyed babies all over the training. There's no diversity for either, you know, BIPOC, LGBTQI plus nothing like that. So Lamaze has not done very much for uh, black birth workers as far as I'm concerned. I took their test um, I, and they told me that the 110 or something, I got a 97 or 98 and they told me I needed 110 to pass. I was done. <laughs> so there, there went that, not to mention, I heard that, you know, other black Lamaze test takers passed the test received their notification and then they were told it was a mistake and they they revoked their certification. And this was under the current, uh, at the time, a black Lamaz president. So to me, Lamaz has not done very well when it comes to black birth workers. They've done a lot of harm, I will say that. So my podcast time was over and I felt that, you know, at that point when I resigned, they should have just basically taken down the banner and start all over with the fresh new banner. They have not done that yet. And, you know, it is a sign of laziness. It is a sign of indifference. And it is a sign that it's okay to misrepresent when it comes to black and brown birth workers. It's totally okay to put something fictitious up there. And Denise Bowles has a podcast with us in over two years. So why the hell is her face still on our stuff? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that it, it's, it's a sense of, entitlement like well at the time that you took the picture and that you, and at some point you gave permission for your image to be used because it was accurate it was an accurate depiction um, of your affiliation association connection with the organization these are not stock photos so you can't no, use no. these images the same way and when you um when there is a dismissal or disconnect and it is on bad terms one of the things that we have to be very mindful of is the use of our work product, our image and our likeness. And so, you know, when all that went down with Jonah, I, I've, and I sent an email like, take my picture down, do not use any of my stuff. Now I did come across um, my image still being used on the board of directors um, website and you know, they'll get a cease and desist very soon um, because you don't have permission. Don't act like we are a happy, divert, like you're recruiting board members. Don't act like we're a happy diverse. You literally dismissed me from the board with no explanation. Still to this day, I had not done anything wrong. I was operating under a contract that you agreed to that you did not pay me out for. So you still owe me money and mm -hmm. you're out of order and you want to still use my image to recruit people to a lie. Oh no, you're not going to use me. So yeah. Just like, I, just like I was reminding you about um, them using your image, girl, I had to do my own search. And I'm like, oh, let me do my own work. This but, day, uh, to this day, Dona still uses my images on the website and everything else. Girl, they see, still season season desist, it's, been, it's been two years. Cease and desist is coming. We've been the two only Black presidents of the organization in the history of Dona. Both of us were fired for some bogus ass. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Oh, you ain't gonna acknowledge the you ain't you ain't gonna acknowledge the backstabber. Acknowledge who? <laughs> you said we were we were the only two. You know, we the only two elected black presidents oh. of Drone International. Okay, elected. Okay, that's you better, you better, that's you better. counselor. You better you better retract that statement, counselor. No, we, you retract no facts. We were elected, the other we were elected. Uh, and I was elected twice. Okay. I was elected. I went through the nomination process. 
I went through the vetting process. The black president that they had up in there did none of that. She went well, in through the, and, the and the current president didn't either. And the right. incoming president didn't get elected either. So, right. oh, but okay. We're not going to tell that. Okay. All right. Well, they, they didn't do that. We did the right thing the right way. The black, yeah. the, the third black president they had is not even certified in childbirth ed, but she's a doula trainer. Oh, ooh. Okay. So let's talk about how low the bar is when it comes to black birth workers, okay? You and I are up here getting our certifications, doing our continuing education units, making sure that we are coming correct every time. Okay, but it, you know, for some people, I guess that doesn't matter. Some people don't have to meet the standard. And I guess, I guess not. I guess not. But, you know, if you want to, if you want to be, you know, whatever up there doing, being a clown, then that's a whole nother story. Okay. But that's okay. it for me. Yeah. That's okay. it for me. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, so yeah. So, you know, we have to understand that with these organizations, um, it, it's, it's, that's, that's, that's a low bar attitude to have. It really and truly is. That you just I, I, put some yeah. black image up there and it, it, that should make everything okay. Right. And I think my point is that if it's a real live person who is no longer associated, affiliated, connected with your organization, this is not a stock photo. This I'm not a model. Like, um, I think that if you are a birth worker who is experiencing this, then you really need to take uh, control of your image and maybe even out the gate, really control whether how your work product, your image, your voice, any anything that's affiliated with you is used. Think about how it's used now while you're connected and when you get disconnected. Think about that ahead of time because we all know our reputation matters, our image matters, how we're used matters. And yes, I, you know, and Denise, you know that there was that whole incident with another black birth worker years ago when I was leading a white-led organization and um an image of her and her child ended up on the on the cover of the magazine. And there was extreme upset. And unfortunately, I was at the helm, so I had to deal with the complaint and also the the untruth that that was propagated from her. Right. But right. I understand the sentiment having, you know, experiencing it, experiencing it myself, but I understand the sentiment. But in even in that situation, she did not handle the legal stuff. No. That image was released by the organization that she was representing. She did right. a legal photo release. Right. She never imagined where that photo, whose hands that photo would end up in, which happened to be the organization I was leading who she had no alignment with. Right. And I can understand her hurt, like, especially now being on the, you know, receiving end of it um, now, but this again is about mismanaging your image, your likeness, and your usage. You just signed away because she did, because she trusted the organization, never imagining that they would then third party those those rights of those images to right. another organization who had no idea about her personal affinity or dislike. And so I'm just, I think the lawyer in me is definitely like, hey, y'all, really, when you're collaborating with people, going on podcasts, doing all this stuff, because that's what we're doing to grow our business, really think twice about how your image is being used and make sure you manage future usage through agreements so yeah. that when you need to move on because people betray you, because organizations change course, because you are no longer aligned or something happens, 
that you um, can disconnect and they don't retain rights to your images um, that you find um, very harmful. Absolutely. And I do practice exactly what I preach here because I had a podcast many years ago that was very successful. And this third black president that brought herself in through backstabbing and stuff with this white led organization was one of my co-hosts. And when we had this falling out, I shut down that podcast and I closed, I, I closed it off. It's, it's gone. It's done. There's no, there's no trying to salvage it. There's no trying to piece thing. No, just decimate it. And let's just start all over again in a new, in a new light and with new people. That's all because I don't want to associate with this person and I'm not going to. So, you know, that I just shut that off. So you got to practice what you preach. Yeah. And sometimes you take a L for sure. And it's really tough because y'all have some good content. There was some really great conversations oh, yeah. that took place, oh, yeah. but that was a, a day and a time. Yeah. It was a time. It was a time. We struck while the iron was hot. We helped a lot of people. We had a lot of great guests, a lot of great um, leaders in birth work on. I'm really proud to say that some of the episodes that I did do without this person you know, Claudia, the late Claudia Booker, that one is still alive and going. And she gave a beautiful uh, podcast with me and talked a lot about her history and growing up and becoming a midwife and her father, who was a pediatrician. It was a beautiful podcast. So we really need to understand who we are aligned with and um, how the, the bar for Black birth is so low. And it still is. Even in Black, in certain Black leadership, and I'm using my fingers in quotes, um, the, the bar is still very low. Because when you and I were leading this white-led uh, organization, we did have a very strong Black agenda to uplift Black birth workers, and this organization was not ready for that, period. Oh, no. I mean, I'm I'm 100% positive that is exactly why they got rid of us. Um, all right. So not giving too much shine to, to, to those kinds of things. We'll keep it moving. Um, all right. So I just wanted to bring that up to make sure people had a sense of like, Hey, I'm doing all these things. Let me make sure I control my, the product, control my image and make sure that like, if things break bad, you can reel that stuff back in and Absolutely. you're not continuously being aligned with the organization that you're actually misaligned with. All Absolutely. right. Okay. So trends. Now this is, this might go on for a little bit. So let's <laughs> buckle in. Okay. So <laughs> <laughs> so okay so you know we talked about this one of my challenges um that i see trending right now are in the birth world are posts about what do we call it because i you know i have a like a funny feeling about it um uh, for okay so gofundmes um Ash app, uh, people, people asking for handouts, people. So, I mean, we had uh, one birth worker put up a picture of a small, like a minivan because they have a bigger family. And it was a van that they were manifesting and just point blank asked people to donate money so that they could get a van for their, for a personal use for their family. Just straight up ask people for money for transportation. Someone else had done a post um, asking for money to move. It was just having a hard time in, the, in this city, needed a change, or I don't know, I can't remember. Do you, I don't know if you remember if like there was DV in, involved, domestic violence involved in the, I oh, can't there wasn't. There was, oh, there, there wasn't, was, okay. But it was just needing a change and move. And that person through that GoFundMe raised like 30 grand or 40 grand, like, mm -hmm. 
it was a lot of money. And it was like shocking to me because I'm like, oh, I saw the post and I'm like, oh, people are just asking for money. And then people gave. Um, and it, you know, even there's been some recent posts wanting to like pay their light bill or buy photos for their child, uh, their school I'm photos. I'm raising because I'm pregnant with a set of twins. Okay, you know, the twin one really got me because it was sort of like, I'm a childbirth educator. And if I've ever taught you anything, I'm ha we're having twins and um, consider donating, right? Giving money in support of this twin pregnancy. And, you know, that one stood out because I'm like, I'm just going to give you money. Like, if you taught me something before, it's I, I signed up for a class. You taught me. We had that even exchange. Right. And so you just want me to give you money. And it's like, kind of, it feels like it's happening so often. It feels like it's just a way that people can do, like just ask for money. And I'm, you know, I think there's a one conversation we're not going to have today about like finances and birth workers. Like there's, there's clearly a struggle mm -hmm. and, you know, the nature of the work can definitely lend itself to the struggle. I don't want to speak to that today, but I, I just, I don't know, is it generational? It's like the thing, like people putting cash app, it's my birthday and cash at me. It feels weird to me and I don't actually have a word for it, but I personally am like, no ma'am, no sir. Just cause you have a life thing going on. I'm not just giving you money. You know, I, I, it's, it's, it's a generational thing for me. I'm a little older and you know, um, I just don't do that. And, and even when I started out as a doula, um, I wanted to do this. I just left corporate America. I had a lawsuit for discrimination at the time. Um, so my life was totally in, in a, a huge change. And so when I took this doula training, um, I went ahead and I just pulled my furniture out on my lawn. I had a yard sale. I just sold off my stuff. I cut off my cable TV. I made sacrifices, personal sacrifices in order to get where I need to go. I am the first person. I'm going to sell off some pocketbooks, some shoes, some clothes, some furniture here in my house. I'm going to liquidate my, 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 my stuff to the best that I can um, to get ahead on what I need to do. Um, and, and that's how I became a do. I, I just raised that money. I had a yard sale. I pulled all my stuff out of my garage and, and, and my basement rather and sold it. And we were done. Um, fast forward to 2018 when my mom passed away, I did not put up a GoFundMe. I went ahead and I put everything. I, I was I was the sole one. I took care of all of her uh, burial stuff and I put it on a credit card and paid it off. And I went on about my business um, because that's what I do. Now, I'm not one, I'm not opposed. People want to do what they want to do, but I think there should be a boundary on, on, on your giving and your asking for giving. Um, you know, there should be some type of an exchange, or if you're going to ask, then you ask a select group of intimate people that, you know, personally, Hey, I'm going through a rough time. Would you be able to help me out? Um, but to make this like a general social norm is something that I just, I just don't agree with. I, yeah. And I, it's not even that I don't agree. I just don't get it. Like I, de I definitely agree. Right, I okay. So as we were coming up, we didn't have GoFundMe, right? Like there was no such thing of that. Like we had parties, we had, we had, you had to buy a plate, buy a plate of dinner. We, yes. we, we, we sold dinners, exactly. Yes. But, 
But a lot of it was like, I'm going to give you something. Like, I wouldn't just ask you for money. I'm going to do something. I'm going to put on a concert. I'm going to do something for you and to raise the money. We were enterprising in that way. I do think it's generational. And with the technology, people can just ask. I just, I'm seeing it happen more frequently. And maybe it makes sense because we're in a pan, we're coming out of a pandemic. There's, Uh, some, you know, we've got inflation, we've got like, I think maybe we're going into a recession. Like there's a lot happening financially. Um, Even just, it could be local to certain areas like in the Washington DC area, whenever there's the threat of a government shutdown, which we just avoided, but we're kind of walking right into it again here in another month, uh, government workers don't spend money. They have regular income, they have steady income, but when they know that check might not be coming, they're probably not hiring doulas. <laughs> they're, you know, and so that does impact birth workers' um, income. And so I realize that maybe the more frequent requests um, are because of all the things that are happening. I also think that it's because some of us don't know how to um, like do the business in a way that allows us to have consistent, steady income. I definitely think we should do an episode about that, but. Um, it's just something trending that I just saw and it just annoyed me. So especially with the twin thing, I was like, listen, here's another way to do this. How about you, because twin knowledge is really hard to come by. How about you teach a class? You're a childbirth educator, right? How about you teach a class? I pay for it. I get some knowledge and some skills. You get the money. You can do whatever you want with it. If you want to put it towards your twins or whatever. Like to me, that made more sense. Probably it just would have sat better with me. And um, yeah, I don't know. I just think it's it. we're seeing, I think this is one of the places where we see the different generations operate really differently. Absolutely. And sometimes there's a collide. The millennials are all very okay with this. And what they don't understand is that ask and that money just coming in and you don't see that person put that money in your hand or put that money in a card. It there's not a there's not a personal connection there, so it makes it very easy to ask for the second and third time, because if I just put it out there, the money's just going to show up. There's no connection there, so you really don't understand where that money is coming from. It's just showing up for you, and 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 that that is a really um, that's a loss of connection. That's sad. Yeah, but you you know, we talk about business and we talk about the exchange, how that exchange can be really powerful um, and create community and connection. And we've experienced people who have had a need in our in our small private group, and we've helped that family Absolutely. And, never, and never got an acknowledgement, a thank you. Right. In fact, I remember we did this for someone and I had some of the group members say, Hey, did she ever get it? Did they ever get it? Because I'm not sure if the, if it got delivered, I didn't get confirmation, didn't get confirmation from the, uh, from the transportation um, company, but also like Amazon, but also didn't get confirmation from the person. And I think that is generational. I think, uh, long gone are the days of like, thank you notes, right. like just acknowledging people and, um, just helping people know that the loop was closed. Um, So it makes it difficult to then give again. It really does. Because it's like the first time I I didn't even get an acknowledgement, at least give me a thank you. (laughs) And you know, I'm speaking from, not from a place of entitlement or privilege. I am a black woman who is a single mom of a black son. 
Um, and I, and I was a single mom, you know, from 1990 when he was born. So I've went through the ranks. I know what it's like to have your lights turned off. I know what it's like to have your car repossessed. I know what it's like to be evicted. <laughs> I know all those things. So when I tell you that I, I can hustle and I can sell to this day, I sold off 10 years ago. I sold off gold jewelry and whatever I need to, to get my business up off the ground. I made those personal sacrifices. My son went off to college. I cut off cable TV. I didn't have cable TV for years because that was an expense that I did away with to help my son get through school. So, yep. you know, talking about what we're, I think what Reve and I are saying here is there has to be some sacrifices. And in today's technology, when you can put an ask up on an internet and put your, put your name and stuff up in there and the money just comes in, that, that, that connection is not there. And it's, it's such a different paradigm that we're in now um, because that connection is just not there. It's a whole different, whole different thing out here now. It really yeah. intrigues it really is different and energetically it feels different. And so it's one thing if you're having a rent party, it's like, I know you need to raise rent. You're making sure I have a good time. I don't have any problem helping people. Right. But that even exchange is helpful. The other thing I think is just another approach could be, Hey, I'm having a hard time managing as a birth worker. Is there anyone who does financial support? Any ideas like, I, I rarely see posts about like, does anybody know about any grants, scholarships, um, banking institutions that are favorable to a um, self-employed um, worker to get a, a, a line of credit? Does anybody um, have skills around budgeting or financial management? Or even personally just saying, is anybody in a position where maybe you can give me a loan? Like, I don't ever see those kinds of posts where people are looking to further like their knowledge or get like get the to gain for themselves so that they don't find themselves in this position again. So anyway, I just think it's just interesting. It's just an observation, just, um, I think it is a generational thing. I also think that the, the missing part for me is not setting up a paradigm where there can be an equal exchange. And then I also don't see self-improvement um, or um, or those vulnerable posts to say, hey, can somebody help me? Yeah, that discipline, you know, that sacrifice. I have helped people without going through. First of all, I don't like to go through those venues to help you because GoFundMe takes a cut of my money that I'm trying to help you with. So I'm not going to do that. I have called the person and said, hey, can I have a private conversation with you? Can I help you this way and offer them help directly instead of just going through the venue that everybody else is going through? You know, last summer we had a doula who was in crisis. I jumped on the phone and I gave her my pitch. Hey, sell off some of your stuff in your in your garage. Um, cut down certain luxuries that you have in your house, like cable or something. You know, give up the Starbucks, give up the tips, the nails, the eyelashes, whatever you need to do for now until you guys can get yourselves up and running. I've done those things because I, I lived that life for a while. So I can say that because that was my experience. So I'm not coming from a place of judgment when I say to people, well, honey, you need to look at your, your, your bills and cut back on some things because until you get on your feet or, or you can pivot and get some more um, leverage, once again, leverage on yeah. how you can sell yourself. And also too, really watching how other people who are very successful did it. I'm an addict. I'm a complete addicted to YouTube's Alex Hamadi. Um, he's one of the most richest men under 40 in the world. 
and he came from a very tumultuous background as a man of color. Um, he's BIPOC and he talks about, hey, <laughs> this is what you need to do. And I posted one of his posts um, on my Facebook page where he told this young black dude, you want to pick yourself up and do better? You got to cut out the fancy clothes, the new, the new sneakers, the Starbucks. You got to make these sacrifices until you can get the momentum and the leverage up where you need to go. So that's what I'm referring to because he's like, Alex is like me. Whew. I, I had a I had a hard way to go being a black single mom. So I'm talking because I lived that life and I can say those things. Um, people see me now as a doula thinking, oh my gosh, Denise is so great. You have no idea what I went through to get here. No, they don't. <laughs> and just because I look like I've arrived doesn't mean I have, right? Mm -hmm. Like I think just because pe some people are just holding it together. But um, I think finding yourself in financial management classes, like thinking through, like listening. So that YouTube series is Diary of a CEO. Right? Diary of a CEO. Yes, uh -huh. it's fantastic just to listen to very successful people and their journey towards success. It's very- yeah, And I, I think having business coaches follow, there's so many, there's so many people on YouTube and Instagram who you can follow who are really talking to you about marketing, strategy, finances, financial management. And here's the other thing. The reality is while you may want to do birth work full-time, you just might not be able to. Right, right. You actually might need to keep a nine to five or a nine to four or, or a seven to two. Like you might have to keep, uh, find a way for steady income because many of us know that birth work, work, you almost have to piece it together to have steady income. Not always, but generally a birth here and there doesn't actually keep, keep the lights on. And so finding until you can get other skills and find other ways and market yourself to make steady income hundred percent from birth work, like, like Denise and I have done, you may have to have a part-time gig or a, a steady full-time gig and do this, um, on the side until you hit that, um, tipping point where you can do it full-time. So there's been a lot of lean times. There's been years that I did not get a vacation. I did not have the money oh. to take a vacation. Um, you know, there was a lot of sacrifices I made, but at the same time, you know, you have to stay in faith. You have to surrender to a higher power. You have to understand that, you know, you have to press forward and keep working. Um, and um, it's really a generational thing for me. I'm, I'm, in, I'm a child of the 60s and it's a whole different mindset for us than it is for the younger generations that I'm seeing and I'm working with. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm always reminded that even though like I'm in a place of somewhat privilege and um have figured out how to do birth work full time. I still need a reminder. So on the back of my necklace, I have the reminder. Um, I have everything I need. That's what it says on the back of my. Yes. Yes. So I may not have everything I want or how I want it, but I have everything that I need. And so this work is ministry for me. It is faith work for me. Um, and so there are lean times and they're like, you know, feasting times. Uh, and so, uh, it's kind of how it goes. So I think managing expectations for this role as a birth worker is important too. But using our community to just get handouts, it's just so interesting to me. Um, yeah. 
and if you have a different take on this, like I realize some of it, we're both kind of saying the same thing in terms of like generational feedback. But if you have a different take on this and you want to come onto the podcast live to talk about it, if you're one of these people who really see the value um, and the benefit of a GoFundMe, we'll put our email in the show notes, reach out to us, reach out to us. We would love to have you on because maybe there's another perspective that we, that we could see. Um, and that you can share with us. I'm, I'm open to that. I'm open to it too, definitely. But I do feel, and what I've learned through many mentors um, I've had over the years, money is an energy and it is to be exchanged. It is an energy that you cultivate. It is not something that you just sit back, put out there that I want this money because I'm this or that, and it comes to you and there's no reciprocity in that. Um, money is, is an energy and how you cultivate that. And it always leads me to one of my mentors always taught us at the beginning of our time together. She says, what is your relationship with money? And that is just such a huge thing. So I know in the future in 2024, Reve is going to have this really kick-ass financial literacy uh, course for birth workers. And I'm so looking forward to that because what is your relationship with money? I respect money. Money is an energy and I respect that energy. I, I don't abuse it. And as Reve said, I have everything that I need. I want a lot of things. When yeah. I, but when I go out and buy something, I say to myself, do I really need this right now? Or is it something that I just want? Yeah. Because y'all don't know this. I, I have lots of conversations with Denise while she's in the aisle of Marshall's or TJ Maxx and she finds fabulous things. I love it. But yes, uh, the relationship with money is important. And I remember the first time I heard that question, somebody asked me that question a couple times in a row. I did not have an answer. Right. It was not even something I had ever like considered. I had no answer. Um, if you ask me that now, I still don't know what my answer is, but I'm working on the feeling. I am. I have a better feeling about it. I don't know that I can articulate my relationship with money. I think it's still a little foggy, but Denise is also right. I'm going to be doing a class and a course on supporting birth workers. So I'm not just out here criticizing. I'm not, I'm bringing this up as a trend because I'm like, I feel like this is a need. Um, and that it's something that um, people could really benefit from. So yeah, uh, stay tuned, 2024, we'll get some help out here. Um, okay, all right, so let's wrap up. We're in the good birth worker news. Um, uh, so I wanna say like we're, we wanna acknowledge that October is Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month. Yes. Uh, alongside also Breast Cancer Awareness Month. It's a, it's a, it's a month of a lot of um, important causes. And so we do want to remember and acknowledge that not every pregnancy is, relate, ends in a live and vibrant and healthy birth, that there are losses um, along the way. And so in terms of birth worker good news on this topic, I wanted to highlight a doula who has been a part of um, a birth worker group, the Black Birth Worker uh, Wellness Collective for a number of years, an amazing birth worker who unfortunately had a loss um, last year, had a birth, live birth, and baby was um, in the NICU care for a very long time and was um, went home to be cared for and then passed away. We got news just like a day or two ago that she had another baby. And- she had a rainbow baby and had, and looks like birth was in the month of October. And so I cannot describe how excited I was when I saw the family photos. 
to see the family of five. And that, that's what she mentioned in the, in, we're a family of five again. And how amazing that was um, to see her be restored in some way and come full circle and move through her loss experience with her family together intact and moving forward. So I just see her, her story as um, her life experience as, um, as a really great example of how you can move forward. Um, and um, move through loss. That child um, is now her angel baby still with them um, in, in, in lots of ways. And yet they moved on um, to have another baby here on earth. So I'm super excited. If she's listening, she knows who she is. Congratulations. We are so happy for you and your family um, on your, yes. your new, the, yes. new addition to your family. So congratulations. God be the glory for sure. To God be the glory. Yeah, you know, this is this is something that birth workers need to understand. Not every mom goes home with the baby. Um, this does not always happen. And, you know, it took me um, close to over 100 births before I had my first stillbirth that I supported. And it was with the Black family. And it was um, very close to me because this was a second baby I was going to be supporting them with. And um, that baby did not survive. And it was a very tough time and uh, to learn as a doula how to support families as well as support yourself through something like that is, is a learning curve indeed. So, you know, October is, you know, loss um, uh, of perineal uh, loss month, awareness month. Um, is very important that we support our, our families through these times. It's also very important that birth workers themselves heal through their own losses. You know, I've had multiple miscarriages that I don't, you know, talk about. First time really talk about it here. Um, but I went through my healing journey with therapists and all kinds of stuff over the years and got myself together. So when I support families now, I do not come forward. My support comes forward. So I'm really, really pleased when I see doulas really jump into the other side of this because all they see is Denise is holding these sweet babies. That's really great. But there's another side to this. So Dr. Brandy Nicole is just amazing. I just love her. She's an amazing social worker and she is one of the board of directors members for Sweet Sleep Junebug, Pregnancy and Infant Loss Support. Uh, she herself sustained uh, infant loss with her own baby and she's decided to jump into an organization that's gonna help support other families and to really move that work forward to bring about education, awareness. I just went to their gala here um uh earlier this month was it no last month last month mm -hmm. last month in september and i had a wonderful time they had great food and celebration they acknowledged the babies who did not make it here earthside they had wonderful education tools to hand out that we could all just bring back to the community and disseminate um as a way of empowerment to keep that conversation going so I'm really, really proud of Dr. Brandy Nicole and, and her family and friends that invited me to this event. I was able to go and it really was very special and I was really honored to be there. So this is the work that doulas do. We're just not there holding and kissing babies. There's a whole other side of doula work that you don't see. And those doulas who are really experienced and cool, they really don't let you see that because that sometimes can be very, very private, very, very personal, but it's still very much there. So kudos to Dr. Brandy Nicole. Um, I'm a big fan, girl fan of hers, love her to death and her wonderful family and friends. We had a great time. And thank you, Sweet Sleep Junebug for doing this very, very much needed and much important work. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, the reality is a lot of us are in birth work because of our experiences. Some people have experienced losses and so have gone into the work with the, with the heart to soften the blow um, for other families and to help prevent loss in other um, families. And so, yeah, kudos and hats off to those who have experienced losses, continue to do their own work and show up for others. It's really, um, really a beautiful way that we take care of one another. So, Ooh. all right. Well, that's, that's what we got for today. More for next week, but um, thank you all. We hope that uh, you will write us, reach out. If you have ideas, topics you want us to cover, questions you want to ask, we might invite you onto the show live and be with us. So be ready for that. But um, thank you all. We hope that this is helpful and we'll see you next time. Take care, everyone. Make sure you doula that. I know that's right. (laughs) Exactly.